You're tuned to Tidings, and this is Hazel Khan. I'm here with two guests, Chris Antle, who is the staff chaplain of the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs in the Veterans Health Administration of the Corporal Michael J. Crescent's VA Medical Center. Peter, Peter Yeomans is a PhD, Dr. Peter Yeomans, is a member of the CMC VA Medical Center, a staff psychologist and PCT program director. They're speaking to us via Zoom from Philadelphia. Welcome, Chris, and welcome, Peter. I'm very happy to have you on this program to tell our listeners about something of great interest to me only recently. In a minute, I'm going to actually ask you to define moral injury for our audience. It's a term I'd not actually heard before until I began hearing it more and more often. And that brought me to your work and your paper in the Journal of Humanistic Psychology titled Transforming Veteran Identity Through Community Engagement, a Chaplain-Psychologist Collaboration to Address Moral Injury. I now understand that that the term moral injury provides a much more expansive understanding of response to military deployment. But before we go into your definition, definitions, please describe your collaboration, your respective roles in this moral injury project. Chris, you served as military chaplain in Afghanistan. Peter, you're a psychologist. Chris, do you want to start by talking about your collaboration? Uh, Sure. Thanks. Hazel, for having us on your program. Uh, I'm a, a chaplain. I'm an ordained Unitarian Universalist minister, and I'm also a veteran. I came into the Veterans Health Administration in 2015, and since that time have been working with my colleague, Peter Yeomans, to first develop and then launch and now co-facilitate a 12-week moral injury group that meet for 90 minutes. Um, 12 consecutive weeks uh, with a community healing ceremony at the 10th week. That's my role. I co-facilitate the group with Peter. Outside of that, I I work on the high-risk team, high-risk for suicide, Mm. and I provide spiritual care to our veterans. What about you, Peter? What, What is your role? So I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been at this VA since 2009. And in the last few years, I've been in charge of an outpatient team of clinicians that are tasked with providing very specific and somewhat narrow in scope psychotherapy models to address symptoms of PTSD and traumatic stress and such. So I have administrative duties, supervisory duties, but maybe about half my time is, is clinical. The minority of my time, I've been able to dedicate to my work with Chris and In terms of the collaboration, just before Chris's arrival here uh, to our facility, uh, there were two different Iraq veterans, young men who took their lives by suicide, and they were in my care. And it really left me looking for other answers, um, other models that maybe I could bring into my work. Both these men were combat veterans and clearly struggling with something more than PTSD as we know it as a diagnosis. It was my good fortune that uh, Chris was hired here. And as it turned out, we had some similar experiences with a really remarkable uh, gentleman, Dr. Ed Tick, and his conceptualization of the nature of psychic or spiritual pain after war. It became kind of our foundation for beginning to think about how we could collaborate in the service of creating a group that would focus on moral injury. Spiritual pain is another way of saying moral injury? 
spiritual impact of war is as old as is war itself or history itself. And but the term moral injury, most people attribute it to Jonathan Shea, who was a, a career VA psychiatrist out of Boston. And he wrote a number of well-read books, the most prominent being Achilles in Vietnam, where he documents the narratives of mostly Vietnam veterans that he was listening to while providing care to them and comparing some of those themes and narratives to the ancient Greek texts. And out of that, he coined the term moral injury with an emphasis on an experience betrayal by someone in legitimate authority of what is right. The experience of being betrayed by someone of, in legitimate authority in a high stakes situation of what is right. There's so many of the experiences of the Vietnam vets was feeling betrayed by perhaps higher ups who wastefully sent them to take a hill or a position and then to retreat. Betrayed by the public that scorned them when they returned home betrayed by a government for the extent to which they were committed to a war that many people look back on now as a failure. Chris, were you going to say something about betrayal? I'd like to address the spiritual pain piece. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad Peter mentioned Edward Tick. He's been an important mentor and teacher to both of us. And essentially, what Edward Tick taught me is the importance of spirituality and community, first of all, in terms of addressing war wounds. And to think of PTSD as a SD, not being a necessarily stress disorder, but a soul wound mm. and a social disorder. The, the language of moral injury works well for collaboration between chaplains and psychologists. In the world of mental health, there may be less comfort around the language of spirituality, spiritual pain, soul wounding. But moral injury is just a term and in our group work, we expand upon it and invite our veterans to, to use language like spiritual and religious struggle or soul wounding, if that language works for them. After Jonathan Shea, the next step to sort of the, the ongoing definitional process of, of this term moral injury was taken by named Brett Litz. And uh, Dr. Litz focused less on betrayal and more on experiences of transgression of moral values, moral codes, and specifically perpetrating, failing to prevent, bearing witness to, or learning about acts that transgress communally and deeply held moral beliefs and expectations. So that was a really important addition to understanding what moral injury might be Shay, this point about betrayal, and Litz about transgression and perpetration. Say just a little bit more about transgression. I think a lot of the public and even the veterans themselves, to some extent, their view of the nature of the impact of pain is, is clouded by something that makes us really underestimate the psychic or spiritual impact of taking life, directly mm -hmm. or indirectly. An oversimplification of sort of the honorable nature of war, the tendency to dehumanize those on the other side, it's easy to, it's to fall into that. And really a fascinating research done way back in World War II that pointed out that, that humans and military themselves have a, a, a tremendous inhibition to taking life. And the military between World War II in Vietnam has really worked hard to help people overcome that inhibition so that they can be more lethal and more effective, but at a tremendous cost 
to our, our spiritual and moral beings. So the ethical response of the soldier or of the veteran to war has been underestimated and misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Jay makes this point that, you know, back home, before war and after war, the primary moral code is do no harm, treat yeah. others as you would treat them, right? Mm. Uh, Shay makes the point, well, you know, on deployment, the primary moral guide is protect the group. You do it, whatever you have to do to get your comrades home. And so inherently, there's very deep conflict, either while you're over there or when you come home right away or perhaps years and years later when you're finally trying to come to terms with it all. PTSD contains within it moral injury, or or is that the other way around? Or is that not a good way to look at it? That's a great and really important question. And and we've seen that the specific criteria of PTSD continue to evolve. But up until about eight years ago, PTSD was considered an anxiety disorder. The criterion event that would precipitate PTSD were experiences of life threat. So the emphasis was on experiences of victimization, which is much more akin to the civilian experience, a car accident, an assault of some kind. And so we didn't have the right lens as we were trying to understand the pain of returning veterans, which led us to underappreciate the significance of the inability to protect those friends and moral injury from perpetration or betrayal. Mm-hmm. You talk about the understanding that society disengagement exacerbates moral injury. To me, that's summed up in the phrase, thank you for your service. You're almost advocating that that phrase be taken out of circulation because it does not address the issue that we're talking about today. I don't know if I put that properly, but to say that moral pain is normative, not disordered. It's not to be treated, but integrated. So you're talking about the burden of warfare must be shared with society. If you could talk about that. I'd like to just respond to the don't say thank you for your service. I I don't know if we actually said that in any of our papers. I wouldn't tell anyone like never to say that. I think what's behind that kind of sentiment, it's an expression of gratitude. It assumes prideful and honorable service which in many cases may be very appropriate and and very well received by a veteran. However, what we're talking about in this program today is the experience of moral injury. And gratitude and pride are positive moral emotions. The realm of moral injury is the realm of negative moral emotions. They include things like guilt and Mm -hmm. shame and disgust and resentment over betrayal. So imagine a person who's been in a place like Iraq or or where I was in Afghanistan, and and they were part of really complicated military operations that were sometimes chaotic. And maybe veterans saw people die. Maybe they saw people who were not combatants die. Maybe they, they witnessed their friends being killed. And they come back and they're struggling with some of these negative moral emotions, uh, mm-hmm. guilt and, and a sense of betrayal. Maybe their commander gave a bad order that resulted in unnecessary loss of life. And they're wrestling w- with all of these things. And they're met by a well-intentioned person who offers that kind of thank you for your service. What we're saying here is that kind of platitude does not invite the kind of sharing that many veterans may want and need to be fully welcomed home and to be fully reintegrated. 
And it enables a kind of avoidance mm. for the society, for civilians to hear the kinds of stories that may require some serious moral deliberation, that may require some more reckoning, that may be quite frankly uncomfortable to hear. I think it's important to just step back and think about how civil military relations works in, in the United States, that we have a military that is an all-volunteer force, and in theory, it's volunteer. Some critique that and, and argue there's an economic draft or there's elements of, of coercion or even moral exploitation in the way that we recruit from such a young and, and in some ways immature population. And we have a military that's under control of civilians, that the commander-in-chief is the person who's the president of the United States, who's elected by the consent of the people. So there's a sense of shared responsibility in a democratic society like ours that belongs to all of us, not just the people who are in uniform, who are overseas, who are pulling triggers and setting off bombs and firing missiles. We're all in a sense, implicated mm. in the harmful consequences of the use of military force. What we're saying with our work around moral injury is that a lot of the injury piece of, of what we're talking about for veterans is that they're carrying this moral burden and a sense of moral responsibility too often in isolation. Mm. That's where the injury lies. Veterans Affairs staff Chaplain Chris Antle and psychologist Dr. Peter Yeomans are talking about the moral injury suffered by returning war veterans. This is Tidings and Hazel Kahn on WPKN Radio. The experience of moral pain is not a disorder. It's a sign of moral sensitivity and moral seriousness. The injury comes about in the isolation that I'm carrying all of this alone, and that's unfair. And that's what we're trying to address with our intervention. And that's a new way of looking at it, right? A fairly radical approach to the reintegration of the veteran into society. It's new and it's very old. We talked about Edward Tick and one of the things that Edward Tick has given us in his book, uh, War in the Soul and, and Warrior's Return, is a beautiful exposition and presentation of warrior societies uh, over the course of time and how different warring societies have brought their warriors back into the community. And it involved things like storytelling in community. It involved or sharing of responsibility. It involved isolation and tending and rituals of purification. In that sense, there's really an ancient dimension to right. this in terms of what's happening across VA and even in the country in addressing military moral injury. Our work is recognized as innovative, and, and one of the innovative and distinctive features of our work in Philadelphia is the community healing ceremony. Mm -hmm. So this is a perfect time for you to describe. Unfortunately, I was not able to witness it online, and so I'm looking forward to hearing you describe it. Will you be doing that, Chris? Yeah, Peter, why don't you comment, and then I'll, I'll... you want me to start? You sure. Go ahead. You start. Yeah. As I said earlier, our model is a 12-week group, and at the 10th week, we have what we call a community healing ceremony. This has been our model since December of 2016, and we just had our 12th community healing ceremony here in Philadelphia, and so it has evolved over uh, the course of the last uh, six years. 
The ceremony is a time apart where we create a safe space. We talk about Judith Herman a lot in, a, in our group, and the trauma psychiatrist who wrote a beautiful book called Trauma and Recovery. And she talks about the importance of safety, remembrance and mourning and reconnection. And so the ceremony is, is where we create that kind of safe space to do the work of remembrance and mourning and the work of reconnection. The ceremony involves liturgy, some simple ritual. There's a time for silence and there's a time for truth telling and veterans give testimony. And there's a time for the community to respond to the veterans testimony of their moral injury. And that response I lead together with usually a, another chaplain or, or clergy person. It involves some simple movements and a communal um, I'll use the word confession, an acknowledgement of the community speaking to the veterans that we share responsibility with you for all you have seen, all you have done, all you have failed to do, all that's been done to you. That's part of the um, community response. We have a hand-washing ritual where we invite people to wash their hands in acknowledgement of moral taint that affects all of us as we reflect on various ways we are implicated in our nation's violence. And uh, it is celebratory. Uh, there's lamentation, but also celebration in that we are reclaiming uh, honesty and we are rebuilding moral community characterized by compassion, responsibility, respect, and fairness. So... What I would have seen if I had been observing or participating, what is the physical space? And how many people are there? The community, how many veterans are there? Just give me some idea of the size of this gathering. We typically have between five to seven veterans in our group. Usually our veterans will speak, uh, but we don't obligate them to. And we invite them to share their moral injury and what they believe the community needs to hear. And that is the core element. We typically have um, had in the past before COVID uh, 100 people gathering. Uh, the ceremony that uh, was held this month, we had 50 people in person and we had an, another about 20 people join what is something that a veteran might say to the community? Or what is it that they might let them know? And what might a community member say back? Peter, you want to take this one? Two prompts we give them. What do you need to unburden? Mm. What do they need to understand, right? What might they not understand about war and that your story would help them understand? Mm. We encourage them to tell specific stories of the, their experiences of perhaps betrayal, perhaps perpetration. And there are myriad varieties of what those stories are, and but also about what the impact of those experiences have been. On them personally. Yeah, on them personally and on the relationships too. And, you know, an added element is to the ceremony and to the challenges is many of these veterans are very isolated in terms of their relationships, mm. even their closest relationships. And, and from the very beginning, mm. we encourage them to see this ceremony as an opportunity to engage those family members and to consider inviting them. And often these family members who have lived 
with these veterans for years and years are hearing things they have never heard before. Really? Yeah. Never. Yeah. It's not uncommon. And then obviously there's just a huge opportunity for them to continue to talk and, and, the, and the door for some really important communication. There's so much more potential for things to, for the relationships to continue to improve and for this person to feel better held and supported. And um, One thing I wasn't clear about, you talked about the 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And this is in the 10th week. What exactly has been going on in that time leading up to the ceremony? What kind of groups or sessions have there been? Sure. So establishing safety, establishing norms for communication and trust, slowly encouraging people to disclose who they are and how they're feeling, how they've been impacted. And that becomes then fuel for strong bond that we're going to need to go forward. The first half of the content of the group is trying to give the veterans language, vocabulary, concepts to help them articulate their experience and Mm -hmm. to be able to explain it to themselves even. And so we talk about what are these definitions of moral injury. We talk about moral values, those moral emotions. We talk about the concept of moral dilemma, the idea that in war or in military service, there may well be situations where you're going to feel like you did betray or violate basic moral values because Mm. they're in conflict. You can't do no harm and protect the group. We talk a lot about moral disengagement, and that's drawing on some work of psychologists, uh, Bandura in particular, and thinking about euphemism, language of dehumanization, uh, ways people don't take responsibility. So that's a lot of the first, maybe five, six sessions. And then in maybe seven, eight, nine, the priority becomes specific opportunities for people to practice giving testimony. So these more mm-hmm. informal opportunities to mm-hmm. share their experiences and connect to a, a concept like you know, moral dilemmas becomes the body of what they might choose to share at the public ceremony. So it all leads up to the ceremony. That's right. That's the 10th week. And then we have two final sessions to debrief process and mm. integrate the experience to, to, to hear from them about who in their family maybe they're talking to more now. And that's it. Then, then you have a whole new batch of people joining a new series. That's correct. We just do this twice a year. And then for those that want to be involved, there is an opportunity for them to continue to apply, in a sense, the model to their lives. Mm. Uh, we gather uh, once a month to continue to think about how to do that. Okay. So you carry on afterwards. Some of these people have been keeping this moral injury to themselves for years, maybe. I mean, they're not all recently discharged or or they've not just recently left military service, right? That's correct. We've had many Vietnam veterans uh, and continue to have Vietnam vets Mm. participate Mm. in the group. So that's 50 plus years. And and just last week at the ceremony, we had one Vietnam vet who was sharing uh, experiences. His son was in the audience. His son had not heard these things. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. This this very pent up for a very long time. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything else, Chris, that you want to say about the ceremony, because what I would like to move on since time is pressing. Yeah, just two things. One is just how remarkable it is that uh, the ceremony creates a the space and it builds people's capacity to hold these painful truths. We've seen time and time again, veterans speak to family members in the context of that ceremony, Mm. truth that they've withheld for for years, sometimes Mm. decades. 
And often they're withholding those truths out of a real desire to protect their loved ones from what they may consider to be overwhelmingly painful stories. When the veterans speak, the, their family members may be there, but they're not there alone. They're surrounded by a community that can carry the weight of what's being said together. And that seems to make all the difference. Mm. Uh, so it's really a beautiful and wonderful dimension that we see time and time again. The ceremony is not the end of it. it comes at week 10 because we uh, need to meet two more times. We meet the next day with the group to uh, allow them some space to reflect on their experience of what happened. Mm. And then we meet for the 12th meeting and we bring the feedback from the community. And, and that comes in, in, in writing. Often we use an online Padlet application for people to write direct messages to the veterans responding to what they heard, what they learned, what touched them, what they're going to do differently in their life because of what they've learned from our veterans. So it's very important part of our process that the community responds. In fact, today we're actually meeting this afternoon for the 12th session and we're going to mm -hmm. be reading. Peter and I take turns reading the actual words that, that community members wrote in response to their experience of the mm -hmm. veterans' testimonies. And so that is the kind of relational space that we create, a place to experience moral engagement for people to do moral deliberation and arrive at insight. Are there broader implications of this work beyond the veteran experience of moral injury? Can what you've learned be extended to other areas of trauma, psychological trauma? I think there is a broader context in terms of accountability. I think we're all being called on more these days to be accountable, which is also a moral imperative to be accountable for one's actions. And that's taking place in a broader context right now in our society. Right, Hazel. And I think that's a great word to use. I talk about sharing responsibility. Really, what we're doing with our intervention is we're saying moral injury is the unfair distribution of appropriate moral pain. And then the, the, the society needs to step up and be accountable and be responsible. And if we're going to authorize these wars and send people to these faraway places to unleash violence on foreign populations, then we have an obligation to, to hear about that and to know so that we can make an assessment about whether this was really worth it and whether this is something we, we really want to be involved in again without knowing, without uh, to just even listen to the testimonies of veterans, there's really an abdication of uh, civic responsibility, of civic duty. It's, it's, it's really irresponsible. That's the unfairness about it. We're addressing that and hoping it's really hard to measure as people experience this ceremony, as people uh, are awakened to the consequences of our use of military force. We can only hope that our work is making a difference in the larger culture. Before we end, though, which is absolutely imminent, uh, unfortunately, could you tell our listeners anything other than the books and sources that you've mentioned so far, any way that they can get into contact with any of your work directly online, some easier things maybe for the average person to read rather than academic? Well, I mean, it's more than just reading. Uh, we have a community healing ceremony that's open to the public. We do that twice a year in Philadelphia. We invite people to come and join us in person. At the time, we're also offering hybrid virtual participation. Registration is done online by Eventbrite. 
If you search for the Moral Injury Group Community Healing Ceremony on Eventbrite, we actually have registration open now for our next ceremony, which will be May 11th. Apart from that, Peter, anything else? One accessible reading is uh, David Wood's book, What Have We Done? Mm -hmm. uh, he's a war correspondent affiliated with certainly Huffington Post. He also has a, a three-part series in the Huffington Post he wrote a number of years ago on moral injury, easily found online and really an excellent piece of work. So let me thank you and wish you all the best for your work. And I hope I get to see the next ceremony. I will certainly register for it. So thank you very much, Peter Yeomans, staff psychologist, and Chris Antle, staff chaplain. Thank you very much for your time. I very much appreciate hearing about your work. Thank, thank you so you. much, Hazel, for having us. Thank you, Hazel. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. You heard Veterans Affairs Staff Chaplain Chris Antle and Staff Psychologist Dr. Peter Yeomans talk about the moral injury suffered by war veterans returning from military deployment. You can hear tidings at this time right here on the second Wednesday of the month and any time at all as podcasts on hazelkhan.com. If you've enjoyed this interview, please consider expressing your appreciation with a donation on wpkn.org. With thanks, I'm Hazel Kahn.